Hello and welcome. This is Emphasis Added, a podcast by the Houston Law Review, where we highlight legal issues, prominent lawyers, and obscure blue book rules. We are your hosts, Adri Langemeyer and Robert Cunningham. A special thanks to our sponsor, Gibson Dunn, a premier full-service international law firm with nearly 1,400 lawyers and 20 offices. Gibson Dunn recognizes that a law firm is, at its heart, a collection of individual attorneys, so they strive to hire the highest quality law students and attorneys, professionally and personally, and grant them the autonomy in shaping their own career path. Gibson Dunn attorneys bring a unique, diverse perspective to the firm's community, and the firm values a culture of respect and professionalism that promotes a dialogue with room for all viewpoints. Visit www.gibsondunn.com to learn more about Gibson Dunn's summer associate program and hiring opportunities. Raj Salhotra is the executive director of Momentum Education, a nonprofit in Houston, Texas, helping low-income and first-generation students achieve their higher education goals. Raj earned his bachelor's degree at Rice University and his JD at Harvard Law School. He shared how he developed an early passion for education and policy, and how his experience interning at the White House and working for Teach for America shaped his desire to give back to students in the Houston community. Raj had great advice for young professionals interested in politics, as well as encouragement for law students pursuing a non-traditional career path. Raj, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. So we're going to dive right in um, where we always start, which is just where were you born and where did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born in San Francisco, um, but moved to Houston when I was about like a year old. So functionally, I have lived in Houston my whole life, but um, uh, technically wasn't born here. Oh, man, that sounds like my spouse who was technically born in Oklahoma, and I'll never let him live it down. But we're going to just for you, Raj, we'll let you be a Texan since you've basically been here your whole life. Um, Very cool. So was there anything unique about your upbringing that has kind of informed your career path today? You know, I think, you know, maybe a couple of things. I mean, I think one is like both my parents um, were involved in teaching. So my mom, you know, is a professor at the University of Houston downtown. And my dad, although he has an engineering consulting company, did a lot of teaching and training courses. And so I think that seeing both of them like frequently, you know, as educators, um, I think inspired initially some passion in education for me. Um, you know, and then I think the second thing is obviously like being a child of immigrants, like my parents came from India, you know, we, we went to India, you know, at times for vacations. Mm -hmm. So I think seeing sort of, sort of a, the sacrifices they made to come here, um, and the opportunities that we were so lucky to have, I think, cemented in me a desire to you know make sure everyone has those same opportunities and then secondly i think it just gave me a significant appreciation for you know all families and parents who you know make sacrifices all the time for Mm -hmm. their kids and and sort of that passion for supporting kids and families i think came came in part from from my childhood yeah i think that's really wonderful to hear um one that you had that experience and learn from it but also that you've taken from that experience and, and want to give it back to others. Um, so I'm excited to hear more about what you're doing with that through Momentum. But mm-hmm. let's start mm-hmm. first, though, with uh, where did you go to college after high school? 
So I went to Rice, um, you know, applied to a bunch of places, but I think quite frankly, you know, I just, I, I really wasn't ready to leave, leave Houston just yet. And so I was very lucky to get into Rice and, and, um, and went there. Yeah. And, and what did you study when you were at Rice? So I did economics and I think what is now called policy analysis at the time was just called policy studies, but basically it's a public policy type. And so did a double major um, in those two subjects. Okay. And I, and I noticed online that you also during that time interned at the White House during the Obama administration. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and just your interest in public policy already? Yes, yeah, so it's a very funny story. So my freshman year, it's an interesting story. My freshman year at Rice, I, I got to campus and there was uh, an epidemic, uh, not epidemic, but swine flu at that time, oh H1N1, as yeah. you might remember, right? It's an interesting time now to be sort of reflecting on that. Um, and so I actually got it, right? So I actually got it my freshman year at Rice. And so I couldn't go to class for a couple of days or whatever. I don't remember how long it was. And one of the professors said, uh, you missed an assignment. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I have the, you know, I had this flu. I couldn't make it. And she said, well, I'm going to give you a zero on it and you can try to improve your grade as you go along. And, you know, that time I was like, oh my God, a zero on one homework assignment. Like it's like the end of the world or whatever. Now, of course, I, like, you know, it doesn't matter. But um, I ended up dropping that sort of statistics class in political science. And I uh, enrolled in this leadership class um, on a whim. And it was that professor who kept a listserv, who sent out an information on the White House internship. I did not even know about it. Oh, so wow. so happenstance. And so I applied. And the first time I got rejected, I, I, I did not get in the first time. Um, but you know, this is when President Obama was there. Uh, to me, he is uh, you know, one of the most inspirational figures, I think, that has ever walked this planet. Um, and so I was very excited to try again. And um, so I applied again and really took the help of friends and mentors and professors to kind of improve my application. And um, yeah, got in and it was an amazing experience. I was there for five months, I guess, in the spring of 2011. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think obviously being sort of in the halls of power, working on policy stuff was awesome. But I think the two bigger things that came out of it, one is, you know, I met um, some really good friends, one of whom is you'll be my friend, you know, so, you know, the, for our entire life, basically. Um, That's awesome. Eric Garcia. And so, and so that was amazing. Um, and the second thing was we all had to do a service project through our internship. And I was working with a high school student um, at a local high school in Washington, D.C., and helping him with the SAT and his college essays, et cetera. And so that experience, you know, seeing him succeed and ultimately get a full scholarship to Carnegie Mellon, become an engineer, and now, wow. you know, in the workforce, yeah, it's, it, was, it was amazing. And I, of course, played a super small part, but that, again, kind of, I think, solidified my desire for education. Yeah. Well, and I, I really um, actually love failure stories. I think we can learn so much uh, just from hearing the fact that, you know, you didn't get it the first time, but that you tried again and that you actually um, made sure to better your application and find the resources that would help you do that. Um, and I think that's really encouraging to, to any student, really, um, or to any person that, that you can try again and get it. Sounds like it was a, a really amazing experience. Um, so during the rest of your time at Rice, you invested a lot of time, it seems like, as a teaching aide and a teaching fellow. 
Um, and it seems like you were already really developing this passion for education at that time. So did you have any inkling at that point what you might do with that passion? You know, um, so I come back to Rice after, and I'd really actually previously been very interested in energy policy. And so I actually mm. finished my internship in D.C., spent the summer there working on energy policy. But I, I sort of after that experience kind of working with, uh, you know, high school students, I was like, okay, this is kind of education is really what it was. I think it sort of rekindled some of the things I talked about earlier from my parents. And so come back to Rice and took a class um, that I think was like sort of the next, sort of put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. And and that was um, sociology of education with a, with Professor Ruth Turley at Rice. So that class was all about kind of the inequities in the educational system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I saw and had great, a greater understanding of, you know, the real systemic inequities. And that led to, you know, being a TA for an econ class, which I think I saw, like, I really love teaching. Um, and then... Um, you know, spent the summer at a program called Breakthrough Collaborative doing summer teaching for low-income middle school students. And so I think by that point, by my senior year, you know, I think my heart knew that education was going to be the pathway. But, but um, you know, I, I actually did end up still applying for all these, like, fellowships to go abroad. Um, and I actually went, I think, uh, oh, for five. I think I applied for five of them my senior year and didn't get any of them. Um, and so like, I think was feeling down, but I think like the universe has a way of like telling you like, what you actually need to be doing. And, yeah. and so I, I ended up, um, saying, you know, at the end of the day, like teaching, um, was really what I was passionate about. And I think had I actually gotten one of those, I think my life would have been very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously. And, and I think not for the better. So I'm, I'm very glad that I actually didn't get them and, and, and then I became a teacher. Yeah. So um, at that point, you you did end up going to do Teach for America for two years. Correct. Um, Correct. Tell us a little bit more about what that experience was like. Did you do that in the Houston community? Yeah. So I, I applied for Teach for America, um, you know, my senior year um, after getting you know, all these rejections. And um, got in and was placed at Yes Prep, a charter school here in town. Um, and I taught high school math, pre-calculus and statistics. And I loved it. Um, bar none, the best two years of my life. Um, and which is not great because that means everything's downhill, but from here, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, and what I loved about it was obviously the teaching part of it, which I really, really do enjoy, but also the part of how do you, play a role in helping a student succeed beyond just teaching them pre-calculus or teaching them a statistics topic. But how do you try to instill some of these skills and values and lessons that, that, that will help students, you know, whether or not they ever use the, you know, unit circle or, or any <laughs> trig function in their life. Right. But I think that was the best part of it, but, but it was also a challenging part because I saw, kind of so many students, um, you know, not reaching their potential because of some of the systemic barriers, mm-hmm. whether it was poverty or whether it was homelessness or whether it was um, lack of uh, uh, college counselors, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And so right. um, I think it was a very, very impactful two years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you already had, you know, a little bit of this background in policy. You'd spend some time doing policy research at the White House. Um it, 
in your time at Teach for America or doing Teach for America, were you starting to think more about uh, a legal career and, and how you could maybe use that to get to your end goal? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, when I was at Rice, I was involved in the pre-law society and, and, mm. and we had this one, I think we had two law type classes at Rice. One was like an intro to law class, which was sort of Socratic style towards criminal law, et cetera. Just super drive by it, like super overview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was this one like business law class. And so I took both of those because I was sort of interested in the law and I'm not exactly sure what sparked that interest. I think it again was that time in DC being around so many lawyers who I saw kind of doing things that I thought were having an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, whether the elected officials themselves or some of the staff members and some of the folks doing the policy research. And so um, I sort of had this inkling, um, you know, I didn't know if I was gonna, um, and I knew I didn't wanna go directly because to law school, I just felt like I was just ready to work and, and kind of tired of school, quite frankly. <laughs> um, and so and so then I said, you know, kind of did TFA, but, but it was always in the back of my head, I always knew I was gonna go and I think the question was less about if, but it was more about when. Okay. Was like, was I going to stay two years? Was I going to stay four years? Was I going to stay three years? But, but, but I think you know, at the end of the day, kind of, kind of decided to, um, you know, stay, stay for, for a couple, you know, a couple years. Yeah. Well, and you know, I definitely agree. Having some time off between school and more school is uh, a wise decision, depending on who you are and and where you're at in life. Um, but you ended up going to Harvard Law School after two years at Teach for America. Um, when you got there, having known that you wanted to do this all those years ago, was law school what you expected? Um, uh, yes and no, I guess. So so the, the no part is, you know, I'll be honest, I went in sort of assuming that it was going to be super cutthroat. I mean, you hear all this stuff about law school, certainly about like Harvard kind of even like layered on top of mm-hmm. so I think additional kind of stuff you hear. And and that just wasn't the case for me. I mean, I know that there probably was a pocket of students who were very competitive and, and, and really focused on going to, you know, the best law firm or, you know, making, uh, you know, getting part of certain clubs or, you know, whatever it might be or joining like law review. But, but, but for me, I think I, I did not see that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a group of friends who, you know, really, that was not our focus area. Um, we were much more kind of relaxed and, and we were all kind of, we knew why we were there. It, you know, like in some ways beyond just kind of trying to, uh, I guess, add a little um, like competition to it. We were not really, that just wasn't the focus for us. So I think that part of it was different. I think the part that was similar to what I expected was, you know, I had assumed going in that law would be, this intersection of people who just like live and breathe politics <laughs> and like love debating policy issues. And that part was spot on. Like it was just magnify my small group of friends at Rice. It was like, everybody was like talking about politics all yeah. the time. And, you know, obviously we were there for the 2016 election, which was, you know, obviously in and of itself, an interesting event. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why I'm saying yes and no. Um, you know, the classes were, you know, I 
I didn't really know what to expect. I had not read this book one L or whatever. So I didn't know about too much about the Socratic method. And so that was sort of a little bit different. Um, but, but yeah, I think by and large, it was kind of what I, what, what I expected except for that competition piece, which I was so happy about it. That, that, yeah. That, that it seems like a pleasant surprise to be, yes, to yes. be missing that yes, aspect of yes, it. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's something that I can echo as well. I, I had heard those rumors getting into law school and, and to mm-hmm. find it was not the case was a very pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so you already knew you had this passion for teaching and for policy. Mm-hmm. How, if at all, did that impact your um, job search when you were in law school? Yeah, great question. So, you know, thinking back to um, my first year of law school, so, you know, I, so I didn't really know, like, the whole process. I mean, I, so my uncle is a lawyer, but um, he had gone, you know, significant time before. And quite frankly, he and I really had not talked about the whole law school experience mm-hmm. and, and sort of navigating the process. So I remember um, getting there, and this is now fall of 2015. Mm-hmm. And um, I met a professor uh, named Charles Ogletree, um, who um, worked kind of on issues related to education law uh, and race. He was actually um, Anita Hill's lawyer during her, uh, when wow. she was up uh, testifying. Yeah, so very, very involved. Um, and, and always sort of very focused on racial justice issues, social mm-hmm. justice issues. And so I went to see him um, and I just sort of um, mentioned, you know, I'm from Houston and, and, um, and I want to go back and I'm thinking, you know, one day that I want to get into politics, like, you know, like how should I be thinking about my time here in the summers? And, and he said, um, he said, yeah, you should, um, you should go back and you should try to intern uh, for the mayor. And I said, Oh, um, Sylvester Turney said, Oh yeah, he was a former student of mine. Wow. And that- First time I did not know, and I think the mayor uh, it just did a great job in his campaign. He never really brought up the fact that he'd gone to Harvard Law School. He, he, yeah, he, I didn't know that at all. Not, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know that either. And so that experience kind of sparked my interest, um, you know, in trying to come back. And, and so then I spent part of that summer um, interning, interning for the mayor. And, and so I think that was driven by my desire to, you know, one day get into policy. So I mm-hmm. wanted to see. And, and I was sort of very, and I still am, uh, disillusioned by what was happening in D.C. And sort of mm-hmm. had this perception that the local, you know, level is kind of where things, you know, get done. Um, so that was half the summer. And the other half, I said, you know, I probably should try a law firm. Um, and so I sort of got to know Fulbright, Norton Rose Fulbright, um, because they have a public finance practice, okay. which I thought was a nice intersection of, public sector work mm-hmm. with law firm practice and would probably expose me to meeting a lot of folks, um, you know, who were kind of in the local government right. political side. And so that was great. And so I did that. Um, and so that was the first summer, um, you know, and then, but I think always in the back of my head, I was like thinking not about, you know, going to a firm for the sense of necessarily staying there, but 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 trying to see how can I de- find opportunities where it's a true intersection of this like law, policy, nonprofit mm-hmm. work kind of all put together. Yeah, which is super unique and not something uh, that I think you can maybe learn about at law school. Um, mm-hmm. Like you already had this pre-existing interest, but is important for 
definitely law students or, or young attorneys that are thinking about their careers right now to know um, kind of have how to navigate those things because there is a, a certain script that is given at law school about you know how you do grades and you go to OCI and you maybe get yep. a job in big law and this is what your career looks like and then you make partner in 10 years if you're lucky right, right. Um, so it's interesting to me and important for me to hear you know just how you are balancing your different interests um, mm-hmm. and gaining those different experiences um, and so cool to know that about Mayor Turner which you yeah. know fun trivia fact um so your first nonprofit that you started one jump you Mm -hmm. actually started during law school actually so some friends and i started um a little bit before i guess uh starting law school um so yeah just a little bit before okay so talk to us a little bit about what (laughs) what one jump was and what prompted you to start one jump yeah, so this is my friend Karthik Sura, who was a Teach for America Corps member two years ahead of me at Rice. Um, and so we were uh, b- very good friends, still are very, very good friends. Um, and I was rooming with him. He was his first year teaching my junior year at Rice. Mm-hmm. And sort of he had started to see in his first year of teaching, and he was teaching high school math here in HISD, and, and he had started to see that a lot of his students in the summer were basically just kind of staying home. Mm. And maybe they were working a minimum wage job, mm-hmm. but mostly they were kind of just not doing too much in the summer. And he contrasted that with many of his peers at Rice, himself included, who had done um, sort of these enrichment experiences in the summer of high school, particularly those uh, peers um, who we had, who had, um, you know, who were from, privileged upper class, Mm -hmm. upper middle class backgrounds, right? High income backgrounds who sort of said, you know, had that opportunity to do those activities. And so he started to think, okay, can we, are there these enrichment programs for low income students? If so, um, you know, can we start connecting our students? So his second year of teaching, he begins to get, you know, and uh, he begins to sort of get aware that there are these programs, that colleges do have these programs. There was one at Cornell that he he found out about. And so he suggested it to a student and a student got in. One of his students gets into this summer program at Cornell, does some project on solar energy and ends wow. up going to University of Rochester. And he's like, okay, hey, these, these summer programs might have an impact. Now, fast forward, we're now my first year of teaching 2013, his third year. And he said, what if we could create this database that had like a hundred of these programs and a student could kind of search mm-hmm. by interest. That idea that he had led to us working together with another teacher, Sharoya Spandiar, also from Eastwood Academy and HISD, also TFA, to say, hey, what if we kind of create this platform mm-hmm. database where a student can put in, I'm interested in business and I'm a 10th grader and programs will pop up that they can apply to. Wow. Yeah. And so that was the creation of One Jump. Okay. Well, and what's really fascinating about that to me is, you know, you're a, a recent college grad and like you have a college mm-hmm. education, that's great. But um, there's not like a handbook on like how you start a nonprofit or like how you create this system where we're going to collect all this information. So, what was the learning curve? How are you guys figuring this out? Was it mostly, you know, self taught at that stage? Yeah. So it was, um, a lot of Googling, honestly, (laughs) like, you know, I didn't know what, 
forms you had to fill out to become incorporated in the state of Texas or that you had to fill out a form. Like, like I thought, oh, if you get incorporated in Texas, you're a, you're a 501c3. No, there's a different form you send to the IRS. Then you have to file these 990s every year. We didn't know anything about this. So we were kind of learning by doing. Um, and, you know, we didn't know how to code. So we found a friend who knows a little bit about coding. And, you know, initially this is like an Excel spreadsheet. And then we say, okay, let's move that up as Google Sheet or whatever. And let's move it up to a to a, a, a website. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was so much of talking to friends, um, trying, to, trying to leverage, you know, kind of contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we made mistakes for sure. Like, I'll be honest, like we had a, um, we had like a spelling error the first time we sent it into the secretary of state in Texas had to get that fixed. And it was just like, there were all these things, but, but I think doing it ourselves, as opposed to, you know, trying to raise money to hire someone to do it actually taught us a lot. So when we got to, you know, momentum, which I know we're going to get to, it it was a much easier process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, uh, part of what is so inspiring to me about that is, um, just the fact that it is possible. Um, you can be a young person who has a passion and an interest and, you know, decides to figure it out. Um, and that starts the building blocks that eventually lead to something like a momentum, um, which we are going to get to, and I'm super excited to talk about. Um, but the, the other thing that I wanted to tease out of that, what you were just saying is, um, I feel like with one jump, you were really already hitting on one of the biggest barriers for first gen and low income students, which is just the access to information um, and the access to resources and just how simple it is to provide a list of like, hey, these are things you can sign up for and do in your summer um, is something that they maybe would never have had a chance to see that kind of information before. So um, I applaud one jump for doing that and segue into swag which is students with ambition go to college, swag to college. Um, tell us a little bit about this nonprofit and um, what you were doing there. Yeah, so here the idea was, so we started One Jump and we said, this is cool. We've got this technology platform. Students can go on and find opportunities. So it's like we had given students um, a platform but we began to realize that oftentimes the technology alone is not enough. That human guidance, that mentorship, that advising mm-hmm. is critical. And so the idea with Swag to College came about from I was visiting a local uh, subway restaurant near uh, the high school where I taught. And I asked the guy behind the counter, I said, you know, are you planning to go to college? And he said, yeah, you know, I go to high school nearby and um i want to go to college but i don't have the resources Hmm. and so i said have you completed the fafsa and he says what's the fafsa Mm -hmm. second semester senior and i remember talking to one of my former students she was now in college and saying yeah this is the experience i had and she says hey i can help him and that idea germinates to what if we connect high school students with older kids as mentors yeah. And that's where Swag to College comes from. And so 2015, I'm starting law school. Three days before the law school start, we have our Swag to College kind of kickoff event. Um, and then we're just kind of trying to work on it by connecting high school students uh, with mentors, quite frankly. Yeah. And, and both of these uh, nonprofits, One Jump and Swag to College, kind of culminated and, and are now 
momentum as we know it, which we're going to get to in just a second. But one thing that I'm curious about is, you know, you're doing this all during law school. Um, <laughs> you had uh, an internship at Norton Rose, and and I think you summered at Baker Botts as well. Summer after, yep. Um, but you did not end up going into big law after law school. So what was that decision like for you? Um, yeah, just talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah, you know, so, um, you know, I was really lucky. I, I, I spent a lot of time um, at two really great law firms, uh, Norton Rose and, and Baker Botts, and met some awesome people at both places. Um, but when I came back from law school um, and was kind of thinking about what to do next, um, you know, I, I, I was so focused on policy and politics and trying to see what can I do uh, to make folks' lives better. And I think, um, you know, I was a little bit naive in thinking that um, going to work at a law firm does not provide those opportunities when Mm -hmm. actually it does. You should be a little more creative about it. Um, And so, you know, as I'm sort of coming back to Houston, we're saying like, okay, there's this city council race that, um, you know, we might have a shot at. And I was always very interested in politics. I've worked on campaigns mm-hmm. and, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to be in a position to say, okay, let's, you know, let's give this a shot while at the same time, you know, building up swag to college uh, and, and, and one jump. Um, and so decided to defer the job with Baker Botts at the time. This is now like early 2019 or, or like mm-hmm. late 2018, whatever, and um, decided to run for city council. Yeah, so that is actually, um, you know, a great transition to talk a little bit more about that sure. because sure. Um, you did, you ran for city council in 2019. Uh, I remember the the Raj for Houston signs around <laughs> the UH campus. Uh, you were very yeah. popular on the UH campus, I will say. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so, and, and you're fresh out of law school at the time. So can you tell us a little bit more about that experience, just campaigning in general and then um, campaigning as such a young person. Yeah, no, it was, um, it was incredible. Um, you know, you, you, you go around the city and you're learning about issues, you're meeting people, you're going to communities. I'm sort of sorry to say I had not been to before mm-hmm. running. And I, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved every day of it. I loved, um, you know, it was wake up at six and get home at 11 and do it again every single day. And I loved it. Um, but I think, you know, some of the takeaways, you know, one is, you know, being young and, you know, we were going to be the youngest one ever if we, if we had won. And, and I think that had some very real advantages in the sense that we could appeal to people who traditionally don't really care about city council races. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also had challenges. I think people don't necessarily take you seriously. Mm. Um, You know, whether it's, um, you know, in certain endorsements or whether it's in, in, in certain forums, just like, I think there's this perception of like, you know, he's just not ready. Right. Um, so I, so I think that was tough. Um, I think the second is, you know, I think I probably went in thinking politics is the way to have a positive impact on people. And I mm-hmm. genuinely believe it is. I mean, I genuinely believe that as an elected official, you have an opportunity to every single day make people's lives better. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think 
one of the lessons after you meet so many people is that there are a bunch of ways to make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. And politics is just one of the ways. Right. And I think sometimes we, you know, when you're in something for a year, you, towards the end, you forget kind of why you, why you got in. And mm-hmm. I think, um, I think now kind of reflecting back on the experience, I think I wouldn't change it at all, but, um, but I think, um, it sort of taught me that, you know, there, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to make an impact Mm -hmm. and there's no need to rush to find what seems like the only way when in in reality, it's all about, you know, the process and, and it's all about, you know, doing something that allows you to have that impact and, and right. politics is merely one way to do that. Yeah. Well, and I think that's um, one of the the great things and one of the challenges of, of just being young in general is you have that fire and excitement. And a lot of times mm-hmm. it translates into, um, you know, running headlong into something. Uh, but that passion can take you such a long way. And it's so important, um, you know, just to see other young people running for those types of positions because like you said it it gets our age group interested in something that we might not otherwise be interested in i know we did an interview a couple months back with megan deitch um Mm -hmm. who also ran she ran for judge um right earlier this year and so it's just really cool and encouraging i think to see other young professionals out there doing that and showing that you don't have to have some special skill or degree um, to get involved in your community. So right. really applaud you for doing that. And uh, last question on that is if you have any advice for other young adults that are thinking, you know, maybe I'm too young to try this right now. Yeah, no, you're definitely not too young um, to try it. You know, I will say that probably the proudest moment um, for me is, you know, our team was a bunch of young folks and um, basically they've all um, gotten, you know, kind of great positions on other campaigns. You know, we had the youngest precinct chair in Harris County Democratic Party history. She was on our campaign. Um, Alondra Torres, U of H uh, student undergrad. Um, And so I think it's definitely not too early. You're definitely not too young. I think what I would say is like, A, please reach out to me and I'm happy to be a resource, Mm. number one. Uh, Number two is, um, you know, start getting involved at a small level uh, locally in your community, local club, local precinct. make a plan for what it is that you want to do. And I think one thing that you also want to think about is what is the change you want to have? Mm. What, what policy area drives you? Uh, and then finding the right office um, that align with that. Yeah. I think that's all, all great advice. Um, so that was in 2019 and in 2020, January of this year, actually momentum education officially launched and Momentum mm-hmm. is, correct me if I'm wrong, a, a merger of One Jump and Swag and then kind of, um, you know, the next level form, so to speak, uh, of those two nonprofits. So yep. um, tell us a little bit about that process and why merge into Momentum. Yeah. So w- what we had noticed was the following. Um both organizations were doing okay, mm-hmm. but they weren't reaching their maximum potential. And there were a few reasons for that. One is um, both of them did not have full-time like 
80 hour a week executive directors going all in to build it, which is what you need at the beginning. You don't need it all the time, but when you're, when you're starting something, you've got to have that. Um, the second is both of them benefited from the other one in mm-hmm. a sense that when you go to a entity, a school, an organization, a college, and you can say, we do these two things, it's much stronger than just this one thing. And then number three, just logistically fundraising operations are just easier with one entity. Right. So uh, in 2020, I said, okay, let's solve some of these barriers. So let me go all in 80 hour a week, get this thing off the ground. Let's combine them. So we have a greater service offering when we go to uh, potential partners. And then number three, let's cut the overhead and let's dramatically drive down the cost by combining and leveraging the strength. And so we did that. And so in January, 2020, we launched Momentum and we said, you know, very simply, we kind of refocused the mission on you know, this one statistic, which is um, two thirds, 67% of jobs require education beyond high school, post-secondary mm-hmm. education, a four-year degree, a two-year degree, a vocational certificate, you know, whatever it might be, but only about 15% of low-income folks in Texas are completing post-secondary education for your two-year degree. And so that disconnect is critical to um, why some folks in certain communities are just mired in poverty Mm -hmm. because they just don't have the skills to get the jobs of the future through no fault of their own, but through systemic barriers that are preventing them from achieving post-secondary education. Maybe they're not graduating high school, maybe they're not matriculating to post-secondary, maybe they're not graduating or persisting through Mm post-secondary. And so for Momentum, we're focused every single day on how do we ensure that we're getting every student who comes through our door, and I mean 100%, I'm not saying 95, we're saying 100, mm-hmm. gets, graduates high school, enters um, post-secondary education of right. some kind. We're very clear. We don't say college. We say post-secondary. Uh, and then number three, uh, graduates enter the workforce. Wow. And, you know, that is really huge that Momentum is able to provide that kind of long-range support because it's one thing to help someone with a college essay and application, um, but it's another thing entirely when you're the first person in your family to go to college right? Um, and have no support within right. your immediate family or community to uh, overcome the challenges that colleges bring. Yep. Um, so I think that's huge that you know Momentum has that, that broad vision and is able to implement that. Um, so are there any lessons that you learned from your time at, you know, starting with one jump and swag that have now carried into momentum? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the first is, um, quality over quantity, like, and, and, and and I think about that a lot, like Mm -hmm. we, um, both previous organizations focused on scale very early and scale is great once you can show that it works, number one. And number two, scale at the expense of quality is just not something that we're comfortable with mm-hmm. or that I'm comfortable with um, or our team is comfortable with. So that's number one. So we just don't, um, we just don't focus on scale mm-hmm. uh, as much as we used to. We focus on quality. That's number one. Number two is... Um, it is not going to be our philosophy um, to say to a student, that's not something momentum does. Mm. We just are not going to say that. Um, it's easy to say, 
when the student says, Hey, I'm going to be doing an internship in Nashville this summer. And I don't know where to, where to live. The easy answer is, Hey, we, that's not so like, we don't do housing in Nashville. Yeah. The right answer is let's work to find you mm-hmm. housing in Nashville. And so I think that is the second different approach we've taken. We're viewing this as a family um, mm-hmm. where, you know, family doesn't say that's not what I do, or it's not important to me, or it's not a priority. You just figure out a way to get it done. And that's, that's the second thing we've taken from this. Um, And then I think the third thing we've taken from this is, um, you know, I uh, am a big fan of Julian Castro, uh, San Antonio. Uh, One of his quotes that I love is um, the American dream is not a sprint or a marathon, but a relay. Um, And we've embodied that or tried to embody it by saying, we're going to have our team is I'm full time and then a bunch of college student interns mm-hmm. because it's not enough for um, us to say, hey, we're going to help X, Y, Z student. Instead, what I'm always thinking about is how can we pass the baton to the next generation of folks who are coming up who can then in turn pass it to the next generation. Um, and so we have taken this approach of um yeah, we're focused on helping college students, but let's help, sorry, we're focused on helping high school students, for example, let's empower college students to be the ones to help them. We're focused on helping college students, great, let's empower grad students or recent grads to be the one to help them. Right. Um, So let's view this thing as a relay uh, uh, and not something that we have to do on our own. That's fantastic, and and not a quote that I've heard um, from Julian Castro but one that really is uh, so important when thinking about education or, or any kind of movement like this. Um, and one thing that I've really learned since starting law school is it's all about the network that you build. Yeah. Um, and yeah. momentum is helping students build a network for success. Right. Um, so that's fantastic. And I know you just gave me a list of three things, but I'm, I want to know what are three things that you're really proud of accomplishing with momentum? You know, I think the first is um, starting an organization that is committed to um, putting students first. You know, we have two core values, integrity and students first. And so the first thing I'm proudest of is starting an organization with my co-founder, Juanita Parra, who's a total rock star, um, HISD graduate, Georgetown, first generation Latina, works at IBM, co-founded this with me, spends 10, 15 hours a week on this after a full-time job, which is incredible. Um, so that's the first thing I'm proud of is sort of starting something where this is our central focus. The second thing is, you know, this year we gave out about 25,000 scholarships. Wow. And I'm fired up about that because during COVID, it is exceptionally hard yeah. um, for students, uh, particularly those who are first generation and or low income, oftentimes both in our case. Um, so that's number two. And then number three is that we are um, empowering um Currently, 500 students have been impacted by momentum in six months. Wow. Or months, whatever it was. Um, that's huge. Um, and I know I said it's all about quality, but when we can achieve scale while maintaining quality, which we have through our Zoom sessions and whatnot, um, you know, that's just incredible. And I think um, what, I, what I tell the team, though, every day is we're just getting started. Like we mm-hmm. have to keep that mindset of we're just getting started. And so it's just got a lot of room to grow. Yeah. It sounds like it. And I'm really excited, um, you know, that UH Law is getting to be involved in Momentum. Yes, no, thank you. Um, so we're excited about that partnership. But also, where can people find you that are maybe interested in getting involved in Momentum or donating to Momentum? No, thank you. Yeah. So first off, um, folks can visit the website, 
Momentum, the usual spelling, edu.org. Mm-hmm. MomentumEDU.org. Uh, and then people should just email or call me directly. Um, you know, my cell number is 713 320 0303. Email Raj, R A J, at MomentumEDU.org. Um, and I'm intentional about this. I give everybody email and cell number because I want people to reach out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we know that we're not alone. Uh, we can't do this alone. Uh, Cory Booker famously said when someone asked him, so why are you running for president? And he said, um, all of us Democrat candidates have great ideas, he said. But I think that part of what I'm excited about doing, he said, is getting people involved in the process mm. who have not been involved in the political process for so long. And I think with momentum, it's the same thing. What I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do is get folks who are folks who want to do service, who want to help young folks succeed, but don't know how with momentum, we want to get folks off the sidelines and into mm-hmm. this movement and into this family. Um, and so that's why like, I want people to reach out, call, email, text, because we have a place for everyone. Like my job as a, as the leader with Juanita is to say any person who comes to us and says, I want to help, we need to figure out a way to make sure we can help them. Just today we were at an elementary school getting supplies donated because a company came to us and said, Hey, we want to help elementary. We do, we do not serve elementary students, but we're going to find, we're going to connect you. And we're going to make sure that students that in this case, Dogen elementary have the supplies that they need because it's going to take everybody working together to, you know, solve this thing. Yeah. Well, and I love that. Um, you know, and just talking to you today, I'm fired up. Like I want to go out <laughs> and do some work today. Well, you um, already are. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing my best. Um, but it, it is such a great mentality, uh, not just in this area, but for, you know, our nation as a whole right now to have a mentality that says, instead of let me pass the buck, let me do what I can to help you get where you need to go. Yep. Um, and that's, that's a, a helping hand approach that I think is, is really productive for everyone involved. Um, mm-hmm. so Raj, I just have a couple questions left for you and really thank okay. you for taking the time to chat with me today. Of course. Um, You've taken what what some in in the legal field might consider a non traditional path, hundred um, percent. And I've talked about the script, you know, that that students kind of get. So, is there any advice or encouragement that you have for other students that are thinking outside the box? I think the first is um, figure out what you're passionate about and try to go after it. And it may not be a full time job right away. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's in whatever job you're doing as a part-time thing, as a pro bono thing, but it's got to be about finding the passion and trying to steer your career that way. I think that's one. I think the second thing is finding mentors. You know, I've been so incredibly lucky, whether it was a professor or um, a community member or um, like, you know, like a work colleague who have helped me. Um, That's just been so huge because Mm -hmm. there are, there, there is nothing we can do without the support um, of others. Um, and so that would be my second piece of advice. And my third is not really a piece of advice, but just a request, which is once you have some amount of success, please reach out behind you mm-hmm. and help the next person up. Yeah. Because none of us got here alone. And the only way we can keep moving this ball down the field is if we all reach our hand behind us to help mm-hmm. the next person. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, so last two questions are fun questions. Okay. You mentioned that you possibly work up to 80 hours a week at Momentum. So I'm yes. curious, what do you do for fun, Raj? 
So I watch a lot of basketball. I'm okay. a big, big basketball fan. So like every night I'm watching different games. Um, so I love that. Um, I love uh, spending time with friends. So it's a little harder now. So mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time on Zoom or the phone. Um, and then, um, you know, previously I uh, loved to go to like different political events and sort of get out in the community. That isn't really happening as much anymore. Right. Uh, but I would say those are probably the three. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, last question for all of our guests. Are you pro okay. Oxford comma or not? Oh, pro. 100%, 100%. Okay. It's all about clarity. So it just makes it slightly more clear. It's worth doing. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but we've there had some, you go. some heated discussions about this on the law review. <laughs> so thank you for adding your input. And Raj, thank you again for joining us today and sharing your thanks story with me. us. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for everything y'all are doing. Um, and for U of H Law School has become a great partner for us. And uh, we're excited to see Momentum students at uh, U of H Law School one day. That would be really awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Emphasis Added is a podcast by the Houston Law Review. Production is possible because of generous support from the Houston Law Review Alumni Association. If you have thoughts on today's episode or suggestions for a future episode, email us at emphasisadded at houstonlawreview.org. Follow the Houston Law Review on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonLRev, or find us on Facebook under the name Houston Law Review.